Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Please be sure to check out our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com, where you can see our entire collection of topics and interviews covering a breadth and depth of items relevant to business creators just like you. Also, be sure to sign up on your favorite syndication network to get timely updates about new content. You can find us on places like iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Blog Talk Radio, and other networks. So today we are going to have a lot of fun. We have a gentleman who's actually been on the Business Creators Radio Show a couple times. He's always great with incredible information. Our listeners like you love him. And I know we've gotten a lot of new people who've been following the Business Creators Radio Show over the past year. And once again, I want to welcome you. And that's why I'm going to take a moment just to introduce our guest today, um, Jan Vespasian. He is awesome. He's a good friend of mine. And here is what you are going to like about him. Let me just tell you a little bit about him. He's the author of 10 books about rational living, including When Everything Fails, Try This, Rationality is the Way to Happiness, The Philosophy of Builders, The 10 Principles of Rational Living, Rational Living, Rational Working, Consistency, The Key to Permanent Stress Release, On Becoming Unbreakable, Thriving in Difficult Times, and this is one of the interviews, Sequentiality, The Amazing Power of Finding the Right Sequence of Steps, and now he has come out with a new book called Undisrupted, How Highly Effective People Deal with Disruptions. This topic is so near and dear to my heart. It is one of the pillars of the spring formula that I cover inside my book, which is Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy, which came out February 2nd, 2018. We deal a lot with disruptions and some of the science behind how disruptions are more than they appear to be on the surface. Like for instance, you're doing some work and your phone rings and it's an unscheduled call and you say, I'll just grab this call real quick. And even if it's a two minute call, you've easily lost a half hour of your day just because of some of the issues that go into disruptions. And that's one of the reasons that I find this topic so important and why I think it's very important for you to be able to be able to protect yourself from disruptions and deal with them effectively. And as you've seen, Jan has a significant background when it comes to these sorts of issues, dealing with rationality, sequentiality, and how to handle life. And he has got a wealth of information for you today. But what I'd like to do first is, uh, first of all, Jan, come in, come on in. The weather's fine. Welcome aboard. Um, hello, uh, Adam. Uh, thanks for having me in. As always. And what I'd like to do is, we, I think we did this about a year ago, but let's do it again just for our many new listeners, is I read off your bio and your impressive bibliography. And what I'd like to do now is just take a moment. Let's hear a little bit about you personally and a little bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Yes, I have a commercial background, and I started to write uh, books uh, about 10 years ago out of uh, sheer frustration uh, because I couldn't find uh, practical information about uh, personal development, uh, personal finance, um, marketing, 
So what I have done uh, during the last uh, 10 years is to go through really hundreds of uh, different stories, biographies, uh, real events uh, from history, from different centuries, uh, trying to extract uh, practical principles uh, that people can use today in the 21st century in our own lives and in our own business. So the books are very practically oriented, but uh, all the stories in the books are, are 100% real, real people. And um, what I try to do is to use uh, very, very short stories to go to the, really through the, through the life of a person uh, within a couple of pages to go to the essential point uh, so that we can draw uh, the essential lesson. So what I have done in the books already 14 years is to try to condense the wisdom uh, of previous centuries. Absolutely. And since we're dealing with being undisrupted today, um, let's really just kind of start by defining what some of the strategies are. So what is the key in your vision to dealing effectively with disruptions? And actually, before we do that, I'd like to take a step back and just make sure that we understand something very clearly as well. Um, disruptions can mean all sorts of things. I gave the example of you stop to take a phone call or something unexpected comes up that uh, turns your straight line into sort of a squiggly line to get to the end. So how do you define the term disruption? Well, disruption is, uh, is a major problem. Um, it's not just, I mean, just something that, okay, you run out of sugar and you cannot have a cup of coffee. I'm talking about uh, events um, that really uh, make people uh, fall apart, that uh, disrupt businesses, uh, severe problems with health, uh, bankruptcy. I mean, I'm talking about really serious problems. Right. And um, uh, I have uh, present, I'm presented in this book strategies, very practical strategies, uh, how to prevent disruptions, how to minimize disruptions, and how to deal with situations that are uh, really catastrophic. Exactly. And I'm going to tell you, actually, <laughs> if I run out of stevia for my iced tea, that is a disruption because I cannot drink unsweetened tea. It just doesn't happen. I'm sorry. So to me, that's a disruption. So I need to think ahead to make sure that I always have plenty of stevia and that I don't wait until the, the container is almost empty before I go buy more. Or we're going to have a little bit of a problem up here. So that's just... You know, that's, to me, that is a disruption, but that's just a little personal aside. But I understand your point that disruptions, aside from the fact they can be very major and very transformational, and many cases a bad way, as you've described, there are also things we can't really anticipate or predict in many cases. So what to you is the key to dealing effectively when it comes to disruptions that emerge? Well, <clears throat> there are different principles, but if I have to give just one uh, principle, the main idea uh, in the book is that uh, when you're dealing with disruptions, uh, you have to face them um, from your strengths. Uh, the worst thing you can do is to improvise. Uh, when you're having problems with your uh, relationship, your job, uh, your finances, uh, you should not just go and do something completely different uh, from what you have been doing all your life. You should not just uh, start a business you know nothing about. Uh, you have to, to make a list of your assets uh, and try to build on those. Um, I've been in this book through hundreds of different stories uh, when I was doing research. There was no one exception. There was, uh, I would say, zero, absolutely zero exceptions. Everybody who went through, um, through major disruptions and who came um, on, uh, on a very um, high position on the other side, 
everybody went um, fighting from a position of strength. People right. retreat, they, they make a list of their assets and they, they, they base their defenses on those. Right. Yeah, and I, and I think that you raise a very important thing. It's one thing to keep moving forward, moving forward, moving forward, but there is an importance and a value that comes from knowing when to, you can use the word retreat, you can use the word regroup, but it's just the idea uh, being able to take that time out. And you know, what's kind of funny is even as I'm conducting this interview, I'm scanning through a couple things on this end because uh, sometimes our guests like you will prompt me to say, hey, you know, that sounds familiar. Let me look something up real quick. Or I may just happen to realize I didn't close my email. And I'm reading an email from somebody uh, that they sent uh, just the other day, actually. And they own a technology company. And they were sending this to all their subscribers because apparently their technology failed the other day and like their whole system was down for a whole day. And I mean, if you're, if you're selling a software system and you have to have uptime on your servers, but then your servers crash, that's a pretty big disruption because sometimes one day is all it takes for somebody to say, you know what? I've been meaning to cancel this for a while. I'll just do it today since I'm not seeing the benefits immediately or oh my goodness gracious, uh, my business depends so much on this other person's software that, oh, I'm dead in the water. So you know what? To heck with them. I'm going to find me another software. And then you end up losing customers over that too. That's, uh, <clears throat> that's a perfectly valid comment. Um, one of the strategies that uh, has been proven through history uh, is that uh, when you have critical systems or critical um, uh, lifelines, uh, it could be for your health, you have to diversify the sources. Uh, you cannot just rely on one server. You cannot rely on one technology. It is too dangerous. And um, one of the stories I present in the book uh, to really drive this point home is the story of uh, Robert Stephenson, who was an entrepreneur in the 19th century. He was uh, a financier working in railroads. And Stephenson went bankrupt uh, when he was in his thirties, um, uh, early forties, uh, because he made a huge mistake. He created uh, a company to, to build the railroad. And instead of building uh, the railroad with a limited liability company, he created a partnership uh, because he was very inexperienced uh, in legal matters. And then he realized at a certain point that he had to pay all the debt of the railroad with his own uh, personal assets. So the guy was uh, almost desperate for a couple of years, eventually he learned the lesson. And in the future, he became super, super uh, prudent. and He diversified everything. He was the, the master of diversification of risk. He always protected himself. And when he built uh, a new business, the first thing he did uh, was to incorporate the company to separate uh, from his personal assets. And when he, he uh, shopped for suppliers, he always got two quotations uh, for the same subject. And this uh, made him a very successful entrepreneur because uh, he knew that uh, when one source uh, failed, he could always go back to the second one. He did this for years, uh, actually for almost 40 years. He became one of the most successful uh, railroad, uh, railways entrepreneurs in the, in the 19th century because he was always covering uh, the downside. Right. And, you know, another way I look at this is I see... And, I, and I've had people come to me, especially back in the day when I used to have a web design and digital marketing firm. This is going back several years. And as soon as I saw an inquiry come in, somebody who was interested in working with us, 
and they said, you know, I'm really just looking for a one-stop shop where I can get everything, I'd say, whoa, 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 stop right there. Do you recognize how you could be putting your business in a world of hurt? And, and, I, and I have had this debate with people who own digital marketing companies, for example, and they say, we are a one-stop shop. Actually, if you have a conversation with them, and you explain to them your precise vision for what you want them to do and what you want your business to be and how you want your business to benefit from working with them, you will probably quickly find out they're actually not a one-stop shop. They may be able to technically do pretty much anything you want them to do, whether it's something they already offer or something that they can create, but is it really their intersection of their brilliance and passion? And if it's not is that really going to be the best investment for you? And is it really the best investment for them to do something that is not really at the center of what they feel is important? So you find out pretty quickly there's really no such thing as a one-stop shop. So I've also taken flack by going into mastermind groups and discussion forums and saying, look, if you have, if you have one person you've hired to do your email marketing, you actually need to have two people who can do your email marketing, even if one person's normally doing it, because there comes a time that person goes on vacation. There comes a time that person goes sick. What if that one person decides they don't want to do it anymore? What if you have a falling out with that person that you can't anticipate right now? What if there's a conflict of interest that emerges on their end and they need to stop working with you due to some larger opportunity that came along? There are a hundred different ways that saying you need to be the, you need, that uh, you need to have that indispensable person. You need to be be that indispensable person is a wrong thing. You got to have, you got to have, in my opinion, uh, replication and redundancy. Uh, there's a saying, I believe it's in, in the Navy SEALs, although I could be mistaken, but I know it's a, a military thing. And the saying goes as, pos- as follows one is none, and two is one. Oh, this is uh, very profound, huh? I have to say. Um... Yeah, but uh, in history, uh, you learn that um, uh, human beings, we tend to be uh, very linear in our thinking. And uh, when I went through a lot of bankruptcy uh, stories in the book, uh, seeing how people actually uh, destroy their lives uh, because they become super optimistic, they become super linear, they think that it's almost impossible to, uh, to fail. It's always the same logic. It's the logic that uh, I have this system, it has been working for the years, I never had a problem. Why should I care uh, about risk? And uh, you see one story after the other, uh, people uh, losing their houses, losing their their businesses, uh, losing their families, just because uh, they think that uh, they are so successful that nothing can happen to them. And there seems to be uh, something inside our brains that uh, prevents us from uh, from thinking laterally. And this is why to be prudent uh, is the, the best way uh, to prevent disruptions. Otherwise, it can catch you uh, when you're thinking of something else and uh, you, you just turn around and, and realize that you lost everything. Yeah. And one, you know, one thing I've noticed with you, and I think it's the third time we've had you on the show, if I remember correctly, is you, in your work, you spend a lot of time studying history. And that's one of the things that attracts me to what you do, because I myself am an avid, avid student of history, and I love to read biographies, because I like to see how people in real situations actually handled it. And they didn't have a textbook, they didn't have a step-by-step, but they were in a situation where they needed to deal with something, and in some cases, well, their decision could have a, 
effect on world history that could ripple through for centuries. So I, I love that you have this historical view on your work. And I know that inside the, inside the book, you speak about, um, you know, a few people, and I'm going to ask you a couple questions about a few of those in a few moments. Uh, but I just love how you take us back to history because we recognize that many of these trails have already been blazed. Yes, and the problem when we study history in school is that it's very boring. And I used to have the same problem because I didn't like history when I was in school. Uh, it's just uh, figures and dates and, and uh, you have to memorize uh, the names of kings and this kind of stuff, which is completely useless. Uh, the point of uh, studying history and learning history is to learn the principles. Otherwise, the stories themselves are useless. Uh, you have to really get uh, the lessons. Otherwise, what's the point? Who cares about the Middle Ages? Who cares about ancient Rome and ancient Greece unless you understand the stories? And this is, this is the purpose of my work, uh, to really show how much you can learn from history. It's amazing. Let me just tell you a story about um, uh, preventing the um, uh, risk and, and avoiding disruptions. A story from the Middle Ages. And people, when they think of the Middle Ages, uh, we tend to be very negative because we think, okay, these people were poor, uh, they didn't have technology, they didn't have mobile phones, but they have to face problems that are very complex. And one of the uh, great uh, things to visit when you're in Europe is the, the cathedrals, the Gothic cathedrals from the Middle Ages. They are very impressive buildings. And people who build these cathedrals, you have to realize uh, they were very short. Uh, the average uh, height of um, men in the Middle Ages was um, five feet. They were very small uh, people. It was very cold in the winter. Um, it was very difficult to transport uh, materials from one place to the other. And in the end, a few people figure out how to build cathedrals. And the, the, uh, the lesson is very important because they have to deal with all these disruptions, with the weather, uh, they have very crappy uh, living conditions, uh, they have problems with crops. Um, and a few people in France, they wanted to, uh, to introduce uh, these new um, building techniques. They wanted to build amazing cathedrals, but they have to deal with all these disruptions. And in the end, um, there was one man, Abbot uh, Suger, who lived uh, next to Paris, who figured out how to put together a project uh, that lasted only 10 years and build an amazing cathedral. Uh, he did it in the following way. Uh, he made a list of all the problems he had, uh, logistics, uh, transportation of, um, of also of the workers, uh, the problem with uh, seasonality because they couldn't work during the winter because it was too cold. And in the end, Suger put all these problems together on the table and he figured out a way to work uh, smoothly uh, through, the, through the year. So he built uh, houses, uh, wooden houses for the workers so they could continue to work during the winter, uh, cutting stones uh, for the cathedral. And right. then in the summer, uh, they put it all together. So he figured out a way to smooth out all the disruptions and to have everybody working uh, together uh, all through the year. And with very uh, limited resources, he managed to build these amazing cathedrals um, in only, only 10 years. And this is a key. Uh, when you're running a business, when you have uh, disruptions in your own life, you have to put all the problems together in a list uh, like they did in the Middle Ages. You have to make, uh, a, a, you have to get visibility of the issues and then you have to put all the pieces of the puzzle together until you get a smooth solution. And if they could do it in the Middle Ages, uh, it's much easier for us today in the 21st century, but the, the methodology 
the methodology is the same. You have to look at all the issues, you have to make a map, and then you have to draw the line of uh, least uh, resistance. Yeah, and I think, that's, I think that's all very important stuff, and you know, there's a lot of things we can discover. So, so when we have times of turmoil, uh, and there could be disruptions coming in, in place, um, do you, in, you know, in light of everything you've said, is it possible for individuals to actually protect themselves? Yes, it is. It is uh, something that uh, today people tend to be super pessimistic uh, when they listen at the news about uh, the, the trade uh, disputes between countries, uh, currency problems, and they get the idea that uh, they are too vulnerable and they cannot do anything to protect themselves. But the, the technology for protection, for self-protection, is always the same in history. You have to diversify your assets, uh, you have to diversify your sources of income, and you have to design uh, your life in a way that is very self-sufficient so that uh, you are not so dependent on uh, medical services, you are not so dependent on a particular uh, source of income that you can really uh, manage your health and your uh, business in a way that um, it will continue to, to work, it will continue to uh, produce uh, positive results even if you have to deal with major problems. People have been doing this in history uh, during war times, uh, during um, periods of famine, uh, during floods, and they have found a way to do it. And I, I will, in, uh, in my book, I go through the different uh, techniques how people have done that, but it always comes uh, to taking a step back, uh, to thinking rationally when you are trying to, um, to face these uh, major problems. Instead of panicking, you have to draw a map uh, that uh, keeps you safe and allows you to, to continue to be successful. Yeah, very true, very true. Now, what's also interesting inside the book that you're sharing with us, the Undisrupted book, that you sometimes encourage your readers to embrace certain types of disruptions. So we're going straight from protecting against disruptions to embracing them. Uh, what does that mean and how do we make that leap? This is because um, uh, one of the main problems that uh, you might have in your career or in your business is that uh, you might get stuck. And this is a problem which is, uh, I would say, underappreciated uh, because people are always talking about success, about uh, getting more money, getting um, uh, more um, uh, reputation to have uh, growth. But uh, the number of people that get stuck in their careers or in this business is huge. Uh, it's uh, what you call uh, underemployment. It's a situation of stagnation. And uh, I have to say that in history, when you look uh, to, through, um, through the centuries and you look at different examples, uh, everybody who gets stuck, most of the time, the, the only way to, um, to really improve the situation is to go to a certain amount of disruption. And let me just give you a, an example from history, which is super uh, illustrative. Look, one of the uh, most famous persons in the 1940s, 1950s was Albert Schweitzer. Yeah. He was uh, a, a physician uh, who went to Africa uh, and then he started a hospital in Africa. But very few people know that uh, Schweitzer used to be a professor, he used to be a professor in university. Sure. Uh, he was very unhappy with his job. He wanted to, uh, to do something to help people. And then eventually he wanted to go to Africa uh, to start a mission, to start a hospital. Now, you cannot imagine uh, a higher or a deeper uh, disruption than that, to really throw away uh, 20 years of your professional life, uh, to go to a different continent, uh, to start from scratch. And Schweitzer did that. But 
uh, here is the, the super in, uh, important story, the super important lesson. Schweitzer covered the downside. And how did he do that? Uh, he was a very um, a passionate uh, musician. He used to play uh, the organ in the cathedral. He used to play uh, music on Saturday and Sunday. And when he went to Africa, he was conscious that uh, he was taking a high risk, that his, uh, his mission might fail, uh, his hospital uh, might, be, uh, uh, um, might run, on, run out of money. And in order to maintain uh, his lifeline uh, alive during all these years, because he was there basically with his wife, he, uh, he didn't have any, uh, any major resources, what he did was to buy a second-hand piano and he took it to Africa. And he was uh, in his mission, uh, in his hospital in Africa, he would play piano one day, uh, sorry, one hour per day, every day to maintain uh, his musical skills. And once a year, he went back to Europe to, to give some uh, concerts to raise money for his mission. And he maintained this scheme of uh, funding uh, for decades very successfully. So the lesson is super important. When you um, are stuck, like uh, Schweitzer was stuck in his job, he didn't like yeah. his life, you have to go through a period of disruption. It is inevitable. But uh, if you do it in the, in the clever way, like he did it, you can maintain always uh, your skills uh, and you can develop those skills like uh, Schweitzer. He was playing piano every single day. And you can imagine, I mean, the situation is almost impossible to imagine that in the middle of the savannah, the guy was surrounded uh, by uh, villages. He was there alone. He would play the piano every afternoon for one hour because he knew that this was his insurance. This was his guarantee that even if he lost everything, he could always go back uh, to play music. And this is what kept him uh, uh, very successfully uh, running his mission in Africa for uh, almost 40 years. So the lesson is super important. If you want to run a life which is as smooth as possible and to be sure that uh, you never get depressed, you never get uh, uh, too anxious, uh, always keep cultivating your skills, your critical skills, your major skills, because they will, they will always uh, secure uh, your future uh, even during the worst possible periods. Yeah, and... I've shared many times on the Business Creators Radio Show that there was a couple-year period where I didn't really – I'd been in business for a while, and then I looked at it and I said, you know, this is okay from a financial standpoint, but is this really the intersection of my brilliance and my passion? And it took me a while to discover where I really wanted to go and what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And i delighted that I had the opportunity to go through that process because it was a period of – Tense discovery. And at the same time, it was a major disruption from the path that had been, you know, candidly drawn for me more than I drew it. Uh, what was good about it is because I had been thinking ahead, at least at some level, to what happens if this business goes away or something happens to this business. I had some things in place that allowed me to sustain the revenues and keep the thing going, and in some cases growing, while I put all this stuff together. Now. Your book warns against prophets of doom, but is pessimism justified nowadays? Um, actually, not. The problem is that uh, when we read uh, the newspapers or we listen to the to the news, um, we tend to absorb uh, massive amounts of negative, uh, pessimistic information, um, right. and this is understandable because uh, the business of news is a business of sensation. 
they want to keep uh, their audience um, uh, motivated to watch every day. Uh, and uh, you see this now um, in the international crisis uh, between countries. You see uh, uh, every minute uh, there is a new catastrophe happening or something that's going to happen and people uh, stay in front of their TVs uh, the whole day. But uh, it's, my, it's massively exaggerated. Uh, we live in a, in, a, in a period of economic growth. There are massive opportunities um, if you really want to develop your business. Uh, it's very important uh, to stay away or to limit uh, your exposure uh, to this kind of uh, news. because Not because the, you should not listen to the news, but you should not uh, pay too much attention to uh, exaggerated uh, uh, negative reports. Uh, it happens all the time that uh, the news, uh, the news, uh, the media, they take uh, a detail and they extrapolate it into a major trend, and this is very deceptive. Um, you see the, the economic statistics; um, the economy keeps growing. In the last ten years, the stock market uh, had, uh, is going through uh, new heights almost every day. And uh, you read the newspapers, and it seems that uh, this is the end of the world. So you have to keep a balanced head. Uh, otherwise, um, uh, you will exaggerate uh, disruptions and you will make very bad decisions. And uh, it's not easy to do that. Um, it's always the same risk uh, that you want to keep informed. You are going to absorb uh, inevitably uh, some uh, wrong information, uh, deceptive information. But you have to keep a, a cool head. Otherwise, uh, you will continue to, um, to become... Uh, excessively stressed uh, in a way which is unproductive and completely unnecessary. I see folks all the time who get wrapped up in what's being said on quote unquote the news every day and every day seems like there's another scandal and uh, and another smoking gun and and another outrage and I'll have folks come to me asking for comments on it and I'll say you know I really haven't had time to look into it yet. So I don't want to say anything because I'm not sure I have all the facts. In many cases, in fact, I would say most cases, that's my way of avoiding the issue. And it, actually, the words I use have a factual basis to them because the way the news is shared with us today is designed to keep people anxious. It's meant to keep them on edge. It's meant to addict them to waiting for the next news cycle or the next report so that they'll just sit in front of their TV or keep refreshing on social media hour after hour after hour. And in many cases, they're just going to basically keep repeating the same thing over and over and over again for hours and hours and hours. Now, by the time that that story, that breaking news has time to settle and we discover all of the facts and we get the full picture They've already moved on to the next outrage, and when you want to have a rational conversation about, you know, here are the facts and here what's really happened, uh, people say, oh, that's old news. I've already moved on. Or they'll call upon you to say, are you, did you just see what was on the news? Can you believe that? And, 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 and as a man who believes X, are you, are, can you possibly, it's like you can't let that happen because, that really that's just somebody else setting your agenda for you and to me that's a form of disruption that a lot of us can do without that's just me certainly and um, there are good examples uh, from history about um, how to deal with that uh, one of the uh, biographies i presented the book is the story of rubens 
was a famous painter in the 17th century. Yeah. And Rubens has to, to live in a, in, a, in a period of history that was really horrible. I mean, there was continuous wars in uh, Europe. Um, there were many people starving, uh, thousands of people uh, having to move from one country to the other due to uh, religious persecution. It was right. really a very bad uh, period in history. But Rubens made a fortune. I mean, he became really a millionaire. Uh, he had uh, still his house. You can see uh, visit his house in the middle of um, Antwerp in uh, Belgium. And how did he do it? How did he uh, become so successful in such a horrible period? And uh, he did it in a very simple way. The guy, um, I don't think he was a really a super, super genius uh, painter, but he was very good at systems. Uh, he realized that uh, most painters were starving. And he looked around in, uh, in Antwerp and said, okay, there's no future here. If I do what everybody else is doing, I'm going to starve. So what he did is to copy. Uh, he, he figured out uh, which painters were successful in uh, Europe and were making a lot of money. Uh, he went to uh, Italy for uh, a few months uh, to learn from the, the very successful painters, very wealthy. He copied uh, their techniques, went back to, um, to Anver in Belgium. And basically he imitated uh, what the Italians were doing. He copied uh, their marketing system, uh, which consisted uh, basically of making sketches and going around uh, rich people, uh, showing them sketches and say, do you want me to make a, port a portrait of your family? Do you want me to make uh, a painting of your house? And uh, Rubens was always going around with um, a sketchbook under his arm, going to parties, going to, uh, to dinners. And he, uh, he accumulated uh, a huge amount of clients. And then he hired people to produce these paintings. And within a few years, he made a huge fortune. While all his peers, uh, other painters uh, in the era, most of them were starving. And this is a great uh, lesson from history. Even when uh, the, the, um, the society uh, seems to be falling apart, there are still people uh, doing very well. There are still people uh, able to deal with disruptions. Uh, all you need to do is to copy what they are doing. You don't need to, uh, to despair. You don't need to get depressed. Uh, you don't need to give up. Just look at uh, what people are doing, people, successful people uh, in different periods of history, people like Rubens. Uh, Rubens built a machine. He, he, he actually built a machine to produce a work of arts very quickly, very inexpensively, and he created such a marketing, such a beautiful marketing system that uh, uh, it, uh, it has gone through the centuries as one of the most uh, successful painters in history while he was not... Uh, particularly talented, but he copied uh, the system to uh, to really survive in times of disruption. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, now you've made a point before, and I love that you cover this in this book as well. Is why are you so skeptical about going back to nature as a recipe for happiness? First of all, tell us what you mean by going back to nature. And then explain to us what, what your skepticism is about that. Well, going back to nature is one of the fashions of the 21st century. And you see all kinds of courses of uh, meditation and going to these retreats in the middle of nowhere uh, where people are going to sit on the ground and meditate. I mean, this kind of stuff. And uh, this is a great fashion already uh, since the 1960s. It has become uh, increasingly um, bigger and bigger, I think, in, the, in our century um, this is a great market, a growing market, but this, I think it's very deceptive that uh, people that go into this kind of retreats, this kind of um, uh, escapes uh, 
from reality escape uh, for technology and they go for a couple of weeks uh, to the countryside and they think, oh, I've become a new person. Um, most of the time, it's not going to solve any problem. Uh, by isolating yourself uh, from reality, from your business, from your family, from your friends, uh, you get uh, a very disrupted, a very unreal um, vision of the world that is not going to solve any problem. It is, um, I think it's very deceptive and people should not fall for this kind of uh, ideologies, this kind of um, uh, naive uh, representations of the world because we live in the 21st century, we benefit from technology, we benefit from opportunity and you are not going to find uh, a better life uh, by going to live in the wilderness, um, which uh, actually is very unkind uh, to human beings. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. Um, now, we've already covered, I think, some of this, but I think you may have a few other things, which is why we went, we discussed, we wanted to go over this. Is you know, what are some of the factors you feel are making people particularly vulnerable today? Yeah, the the short term orientation you see in uh, in all these uh, get rich quick uh, schemes. Uh, you see all these promises that, okay, they, they work in uh, five hours per week and this kind of stuff. Uh, this has become, in the last uh, decade, um, it has gone to an extreme level. I mean, we have become uh, so short-term oriented that this become ridiculous. I mean, uh, you cannot run a business now uh, without having a consultant uh, coming to you and tell, oh, I can improve your uh, results in uh, 24 hours and you can make uh, millions and millions. I mean, this kind of nonsense. Right. You, you see this all the time. Uh, this makes people super vulnerable because uh, it makes people very unrealistic. I mean, this is not the way to build a business, not the way to build your life. And uh, you have to realize that uh, there is a huge marketing incentive uh, for um, for people to sell you this kind of stuff, but uh, it never works. It, uh, it's just uh, an illusion. You made me think of something here, my friend. I have been in this industry for 16 years. I have seen people and things come and go and come and go again. I remember when there were people whose names were hot and you heard about them all the time. And this is the person everybody was supposed to emulate in the industry. And I've seen them disappear. I've seen them go into different industries. I've seen them retire. I've seen them die. And uh, there are some that I've seen do so well that they don't even really need to promote or market themselves anymore because they've established what they, what they need in life. And they've developed wealth and they've developed security and they've developed strong defenses against the possibility of being disrupted. Let me give you an example of some, a trend I've seen a couple times is, you know, you refer to get rich quick schemes and then people see this marketing and say, Oh, just uh, invest in our program for $29 a month. and You'll make a million bucks or just do this one thing with your Facebook ads. and You'll be a five times millionaire by Tuesday. Right? So you see all these things and you say, okay, that's, BS and people spend thousands and thousands of dollars because they want to believe in it. But then you see these folks who it seems like every other week, literally every two weeks, they are investing in a new business opportunity and then they'll introduce it. They'll do a webinar around it. They'll invite their friends to join. And then a few days later, they start posting screenshots to say, Hey, look, I made $85 today. And you look at these folks and you say, wait a minute, what the, what, what the heck is this? Uh, they, say, they say that they have this 
business and they're only spending 30 minutes a day on it and they made $85 today. Well, what, what the heck is that? I mean, they're, they're not doing anything. Well, here's why those people will often succeed, in my opinion is because, yeah, they have these little businesses they have to only have to spend 15, 20 minutes a day on. And once they get them up and running, get them optimized, they make about $100 a day. But you can easily have 20 businesses like that. So take that $100 and multiply it by 20. Now you're making $2,000 a day. $2,000 a day. Let me just do some quick math here. 2,000 times 365 is... Oh, no, 2,000, not 200. One second. Let me do this right. 2,000 times 365, 730,000. That's a pretty decent amount of money to live on, 730,000. It also gives you the opportunity to invest it, put it to work for you, and turn it into a lot more money. So what folks miss is, yeah, they move on from one business to the next, but they don't quit the businesses as they go. They keep adding new ones. And because they're so diversified, they have a level of protection against disruption because if one of those 20 businesses fails, they still have 19 more. That's just my view. Yeah, indeed. Um, uh, you can make a uh, business out of uh, little um, uh, enterprises, but um, uh, I would not really trust um, uh, all these promises um right. it it is uh, it is for most people it's not the way to go i mean you right. have to build your skills little by little sometimes uh, you it takes a decade uh, to build your reputation to build your business this is the way to go it has been always uh, the same uh, path in history uh, you see people um being able to learn from a failure but they have been building their skills little by little uh, there is no magic i have not found a single example of uh, people just uh, like this uh, entering a new business, uh, becoming super right. successful within a week. It's pure fantasy. It never right. happens. And when you see this kind of stories, they don't tell you that uh, this person has been uh, trying different uh, opportunities, different businesses True. in the same area for 10 years. True. Yeah, there, there's always a big, there's always the 10 years of blood, sweat, and tears behind those overnight success stories. And I don't think all these things automatically succeed. The point that I was getting at, actually, is you see they introduce these opportunities that they get involved in, and they're showing their screenshots to prove they're making 85 or $100 a day. And the thing is, is that's believable. Because you can see making a small time and money investment, getting a small return on it that is still profitable. You add a bunch of those stuff up, and now you have multiple streams of income. It's not for everybody. In fact, it's not for most people. I'm just making the point that these are not people going out saying, oh, yeah, just you know, give 30 minutes a day and, and $27, and you'll be living on easy street in 30 days because you'll get 900% return on investment. And that is a bunch of bullocks. But if I see them making $85 a day, I'll, I'll believe it. Doesn't mean I'll do it, but I'll, I'll, I'll believe it. Yeah, possibly. But for most people, it's not really a, a right. good, good use of their time. Huh? Uh, right. If you spend these days uh, building your uh, skills, your business in an area where you have a future and yeah. you can uh, really grow, uh, over time, you will, you will do much, much better. 
and 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 I think and I think for about ninety nine percent of us that is absolutely true. I'm just saying that there are folks out there who can deal with that level of diversity. I think it takes a certain skill set, a certain mindset, and a certain personality that ninety nine percent of the world just doesn't have. And that's uh, got to have a lot of dogged determination. You got to have a lot of stick to itiveness, and you got to be prepared for a fair amount of disruption on your way there. Uh, I would say for myself is if you want to get investing in those types of multiple streams of income, I would first do, as you said, develop a certain skill or a set of skills, make that into a profitable, lucrative, scalable, sellable business, and then use some of your returns on that to add multiple streams of income as a way of for a relatively small investment and not too much more time to making yourself less disruptable there's different ways of looking at it i just thought we could go back and forth in here for a couple minutes just to show people that there are different ways of looking at things and also to address the credibility issue a little bit which i thought was pretty important now there's something else that you uh that you were sharing with me in the green room here that i am just you know dying for you to share with our audience and it's this thing called the myth of the inception point i-n-c-e-p-t-i-o-n the myth of the inception point now what does that mean this is uh, something that I have detected uh, in many stories that uh, when people go through disruptions uh, and they have problems with their business, with their health, uh, they always develop, uh, this is I think natural in human beings, they develop this uh, fantasy that everything was fine until I had this uh, inception point where my life changed for the worse and I was just doing very well and then just got cancer and my whole life was uh, destroyed or my business was doing very well, and then I got uh, this problem with this employee, and then I was huge, and then uh, I lost everything. And you get this fantasy that, uh, okay, was, everything was fine until I have this point, with, this inception point uh, where the catastrophe starts. And this is a fantasy which is uh, very natural for human beings to believe that uh, everything is fine until something, some little thing happens and then everything is destroyed. But when you look into the details, you see it's just a fantasy. Uh, it doesn't happen like this. And I, I've gone in the book, I've gone through many different cases of people who destroy, and there is always a vulnerability uh, pre-existing in the story that people have been uh, running their businesses uh, very uh, carelessly. Uh, they have been abusing their health. Uh, they have been uh, eating very bad diets. And this makes people vulnerable. And then, okay, one day you get a heart attack, you get cancer, uh, you get uh, bankruptcy, you get uh, litigation. But uh, there is no inception point. It's a, it's a trend. And it takes, uh, very often it takes years. It takes years to build this trend. And people become increasingly vulnerable. They don't realize that. And then they have this uh, fantasy of the inception point and say, oh, my God, I got a heart attack. I wasn't expecting this. And they don't tell you they've been eating crap uh, for uh, 30 years. Right. So you, right. Have to get, you have to get out of this fantasy because it's super dangerous. Um, you have to look at the background story. And when you look at the whole picture, you see that uh, this vulnerability was built uh, through decades. Yeah, that's very, that's very true. And, um, and yeah, what you also revealed to us is the importance of you know the importance of why we need to dig a little bit deeper and one of the things that i am very familiar with and this is inside studies uh, when you look at statistical process control and when you look at fact finding is when somebody tells you something ask 
why five times? So they say, I had a heart attack. Why? Uh, well, um, I guess I was, I guess I had some coronary issues, some heart disease. Why? Uh, well, maybe, maybe it's because of how I was eating. Why? Well, I, I, I thought I could live forever and I just wasn't paying attention to my diet. And I think people tried to warn me, but I just didn't listen because I thought I was invincible. Why? You see where I'm going? You keep asking why, and when you get, once you get through the five whys, they say that once you ask it five times, you can get to the core set of facts that drive the truth behind what happened. Indeed, and uh, it's very unnatural for human beings to, uh, to ask these sort of questions. Uh, we tend to believe uh, too easily uh, that uh, just happened out of the blue, and um, people go bankrupt, people uh, get a heart attack, uh, they lose their jobs. Uh, losing their jobs, uh, which is something that happens to millions of people uh, every year, uh, is not in itself a big problem. If you have been building your skills and you have been building a network and you have been saving money, uh, it is a disruption uh, that uh, might uh, create some minor damage for a few months, but you will recover very quickly. Uh, they, what happens with people that uh, lose their jobs and they find themselves completely uh, lost because they have no skills, they have no network, they have no, uh, uh, no profession because they didn't uh, learn anything. Uh, this is the real problem. This is, has nothing to do with losing your job. This is uh, a precondition of vulnerability that uh, you have allowed to happen to yourself uh, by inaction through the, through the years, through the decades. So you have to realize that uh, when you put problems in perspective and you look at the whole story, uh, the, the lesson is always the same. You have to build your strengths. You have to build your skills. You have to build your relationship. You have to build your assets over time. Because um, if you have uh, the idea that everything's going to be fine, uh, you are making yourself vulnerable. It's not necessary to, to think like this. And uh, there, there are no exceptions in history. Uh, people who are wiped out by disruption are people who are totally unprepared. Yeah, and when you look at history, once you get used to the patterns and how things tend to be, you can almost read the story and you can see it coming. After a while, you get to the point where you can watch any movie or television show or read any book, and just as you're reading along, you can kind of predict what's going to happen next. You can see where the tragedy is going to happen or where the change is going to happen. You know, I think about this as I know a lot of people at this point in my life who have if you want to go back to heart attacks for a second and you know with only one exception and I think this is maybe because I just didn't you know know certain things about the person in every single case where the person had a heart attack when it happened and I heard about it I wasn't surprised even if up until that time when I heard they had the heart attack it wasn't exactly on my radar screen. Oh, this person's doing thing that's going to lead them to a coronary. When I heard about the heart attack, it's like, yeah, I saw that coming. It's kind of a retrospective thing, but yep, yep. Because there's, there's a matter of preparation. There's a matter of how you live your life and a matter of how you do things. And if you don't have a forward-looking view, yeah, you can get disrupted by things that you probably could have seen coming. Yes, uh, and uh, all of us uh, need a backup plan. Uh, I encourage people to uh, invest uh, money in different countries 
to learn new skills. If you can learn the second language, especially if you are in the U.S., uh, it is yeah. so easy uh, for Americans to learn Spanish. Uh, I mean, you can pick it up uh, in most uh, cities in the U.S. It will open your business opportunities. Uh, it will enrich uh, your your um, uh, personality by 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 opening your uh, friendships. And um, these kind of things uh, take 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day. Yeah. You can learn it in your car and it can really uh, make you very uh, resilient uh, to adversity, to disruptions, because you have more skills than your neighbor. I think there's a problem. I mean, if we want to spend just a couple minutes on this, we have about seven minutes left in the interview. But since you brought it up, let's get into it just for, for just a second. Because, I mean, you're in Europe and I'm here in the United States. And so you have sort of an outward-looking-in view of what goes on in my country. And I have an inward-looking-in view. Now, we have folks here who say, why is it that every time I call tech support, I have to, I have to press one for English? Uh, isn't this an English-speaking country? Now, I agree that for a country to function effectively, they should have an official language. And the United States, our official language is English. I agree with that. I, I certainly do. I also suggest people look at history because if you go back to the founding of our country, right around the time we were becoming the United States, we had such a large percentage of our population that spoke German that there was a debate over whether German should be our official language. Kind of lost to history. But when you look at how these things kind of come about and it could have even been argued since the united states had just achieved its independence from great britain which spoke english it would have made sense that maybe we decide we were going to speak a little different language just to be different so you want to hold on to your english uh and see that as well it has to be english okay that's fine your country has an official language totally down with that but when you learn different languages you have the opportunity to see things through different sets of eyes. And it also gives you more adaptability in the marketplace and in your ability to travel around the world. Uh, I, would also, I would also mention that unfortunately what we see in our country here, and again, this is my inside looking in, is I took three years of Spanish in secondary school and two semesters of Spanish in, um, in college. And pretty much other than swear words, the only Spanish I really know is how to say, thank you, sir, for the shoes for my children. That's really about the extent of my ability to speak Spanish. And here's where I think the problem is. You know, you're taught your basic grammar and reciting words and how to do conjugations and the difference between nosotros and, uh, and, and all that. But you don't really get a chance to immerse in it. I was never said, I was never told you have to read this short story in Spanish and translate it. Uh, you have to read this story and then explain to us in Spanish what it means to you. So you never got that immersion. Go there and find your way around it. Oh, and you can't ask them if they speak English. You have to speak Spanish. So without the immersion, it never really becomes part of us. Now, as you pointed out, Science and technology have given us the ability to develop educational systems where the, the design of the education creates an immersion. So, yeah, if you have a 15-minute drive, you pop in your tape and you do 15 minutes of Spanish training. And if you want to practice your Spanish, all you have to do is find a chat room online somewhere where people are speaking Spanish and dive in. Before you know it, you'll be pretty good at Spanish. 
But it's just the fact that people aren't willing to take that step of saying, hey, you know what? There's nothing wrong with English being our official language, and I support that. But at the same time, I'd like to learn Spanish because that's going to open up a world of opportunities for me. And I think it's that mindset transition because what happens if you end up in a country where they speak Spanish and you have to live there or you get to live there? Maybe you fall in love with somebody from, uh, from Colombia and you decide to go live there with them. Aren't you going to be better off if you already speak the language? Certainly. The, the opportunities uh, that uh, a new language will open, uh, unless you experience it yourself, is difficult to imagine. I mean, Europe uh, is made of very small countries. Uh, more, most right. countries you can, you can drive in five hours from, from end to end. True. So for, for us, it's no, no choice. I mean, we have to speak several languages. Otherwise, the, the, the business opportunities are very limited. And uh, when you're American, it, everything seems far away because your country is so huge. But uh, I tell you, uh, if you can learn Spanish, if you can learn French, if you can learn uh, Chinese, it will open your business opportunities. It will open uh, your personal opportunities. Uh, it, they will be multiplied by a thousand. And it's so easy, so inexpensive. And uh, you have to forget about school because the way they present uh, language learning is very boring. Uh, very yeah. um, uh, unappealing, but if you just uh, start reading uh, simple books, uh, you start listening to tapes. I mean, it takes 15 minutes a day, and uh, the 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 wealth of opportunities you can get uh, is really uh, impressive. Very good. So we're actually near the top of our time here, and uh, actually we have about two minutes left. I want to give one of these minutes to you. Uh, your new book, Undisrupted. Uh, how can we get it? It's very, very easy to get. If you just type uh, my name, uh, John Vespasian, on Google, uh, you will find my books. You will find my uh, free newsletter. you find my blog. Just type John Vespasian on any search engine on Google, and you will find it in one second. Well, we know that for a fact because I've looked you up a bunch of times. So, again, the name of the book is Undisrupted. Uh, the author is John Vespasian, our guest here today. Let me spell his name for you in case you're listening to this while you're driving. Its last name is V-E-S-P-A-S-I-A-N. It's a, it's a very common Armenian name, and his first name is John. So, John Vespasian, thank you so much for once again gracing us with your presence here at the Business Creators Radio Show, and it's been an honor, and as always with you, in education. Many thanks, Adam. All right, for everybody listening, this is Adam Homie, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please be sure to check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite syndication network and tune in every week where we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.